Good morning. Um, as you know, it's the first Sunday in Advent. It's the beginning of our church year. We, we mark it in different ways with purple and an Advent wreath for one and um, all sorts of ways to um, wait for our Lord Jesus. And so Advent is indeed a season marked by waiting, expectant waiting, um, reflection, anticipation. But what are we reflecting on or waiting or anticipating? What are we waiting for? Well, in, in Advent, there are two things, really. Um, and one, it's an opportunity to um, maybe enter into a story that's already been told, the story of the coming of Jesus, where we can um, intentionally wait for a Savior, perhaps in the same way that those shepherds were waiting for a Messiah on that first Christmas Eve. We have an opportunity to enter into that story and, and, and wait for the birth of Jesus. But there's also an opportunity for us to wait well in our present day. To recognize that, that we too are waiting for the Messiah. Not his first coming, but now his second one. And to wait in such a way that prepares us for his return. Prepares us to see him face to face. And so that'll be our focus this morning, on this first Sunday in Advent. In a season that slowly turns towards the waiting for Christmas, where we begin the, to wait for, for Christ's return as a docile babe, first we focus on his return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In fact, Advent is a stark reminder that we live in a time in between. Christ has come. We know him and we have met him, and yet he is still coming again. And when he comes again, it will be in power and glory and to establish his kingdom on this earth once and for all. And so our task this morning is this. How can we wait well? How can we wait well? And I think, from, at least from our text this morning, we get two things. That, that waiting well means that we are expecting the coming judgment of God and we are preparing for Christ's return. It's one of expecting and preparing. We're going to take a look at this in Mark's Gospel, um, chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. I'm just going to warn you now. If you were ever to follow along in your Bibles, this would be a great Sunday to do it. Because these are confusing passages, they're challenging words, um, it's hard to understand what Jesus is talking about, and I think it would be very quite helpful if you could, could follow along, whether it's in your Bible or on your app, on your phone, whatever you have works. How can we wait well? Well, the first thing, let's expect the coming judgment of Jesus. If we're going to understand Mark's gospel, honestly, if you're going to understand any passage anywhere in Scripture, you have to look at the context. What's happening before? What's happening after? I mean, you're not going to um, pick up a book like Pride and Prejudice and pick out a sentence in the middle and figure out its meaning if you haven't read before and after, right? We can't do that with the Scriptures either. So what is happening in this passage? Well, if you go to the beginning of chapter 13, you get the setting. Jesus and his disciples have been at the temple, right? And it says, as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful buildings, what wonderful stones. And Jesus said to him, kind of a Debbie Downer, Do you see these great buildings? You see them? They're gone. 
They'll be destroyed. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so we're talking about the temple. And what Jesus goes on to explain is how this temple would be destroyed. Yes, it's great. Yes, it's magnificent. And yes, it is apostate and God's judgment is coming on it. And we in hindsight know that Jesus is talking about an event that happened in 70 A.D. He could not fully see exactly what was coming, but he knew something was coming. And he's talking about the destruction of the Jewish temple. There was a three to four year war or so between the Jews and Rome. And then the Roman Roman soldiers sacked the city and destroyed the temple. And that's what Christ is talking about here. Now to be sure... He's using some cryptic language, some apocalyptic language. He's he's reaching into the Old Testament and and using their language of warning of God's judgment and bringing it and applying it to this event in the temple. And so it makes it intriguing. But first and foremost, Jesus is talking about an event that was in the future for him, but it's in the past for us, the destruction of the Jewish temple. Now, this was a big event, cataclysmic for the Jews. Let's read verses 24 to 25. And and what we see is that Jesus is using the most profound, apocalyptic, world-changing language that he can use from the Old Testament. Verse 24. In those days, after that tribulation, so after the tribulation of this war between Rome and Israel, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. The whole world seems like it's going to change, be totally and irrefutably altered, and and in a sense it was. The spiritual reality of how man relates to God is being completely changed through Jesus. The destruction of the temple was a cataclysmic event for any Israelite. And so we have the temple. Why is judgment coming on the temple? Well, in its divine greatness, the temple represents the presence of the glory of God. It's the seat of God's very presence with his people. And God's presence with Israel was supposed to make them a holy nation, right? A blessing that they might go out and be blessings to all the nations of the world, that they might know the presence of God and bring that presence to pagan nations who do not know him. However, the temple had actually become a sign of exclusion, where access to the presence of God depended on your ethnic identity. It depended on your good works and your social status. In Jesus' day, The holier you were, right, the more important you were, the higher social status you had, the closer to God you could get. So when the disciples buy into this system, when they walk out of the temple and they say, look at how great it is. Look how grand it is. Jesus is like, no, no, it's going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left standing The message is clear. God's judgment was coming on the temple. God's judgment was coming on Israel. However, 
God was not about to leave this world and his people without hope. So let's read on. Verse 26, he's drawing on the prophet Daniel. He says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And so what's going to happen, the temple is destroyed. The old way of relating with God is, is wiped away. And they'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds. Well, in Daniel, when the Son of Man comes in clouds, it's not actually the Son of Man coming to earth. It's the Son of Man being delivered to heaven, to being delivered to the throne of God, to be invited to sit down, <coughs> excuse me, to sit down next to God and to be seated at his right hand in power and glory. And when that happens, God's great mission to reconcile the world to himself will be fulfilled, right? The elect will be gathered from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, gathering his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we have this mysterious awe-inspiring, fear-invoking apocalyptic language. And it's invoking this seismic shift in the way the world is ordered, the way the heavens and earth are ordered, the way that man relates to God. No longer would reconciliation to God be governed by the corrupt temple system, but instead by the Son of Man, glorified at the right hand of God. And do we not see this, friends, in Jesus Christ? Crucified by men and yet glorified by God, gathering his people from the very ends of the earth. What does this temple destruction have to do with us today? Well, the reality is it's important and helpful to recognize that, that in Scripture there are patterns of fulfillment. So, so the way God fulfills something might happen over and over again throughout history because God. God is, 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 ever, is never changing. <clears throat> and so the way he judges one people might be and probably will be the same way he judges another. Theologians call this typology. And they can point us to who God is and who we are. And what we need to recognize is that if God will judge the temple, if God is judging Israel for something, we should expect that very same judgment when we are engaged in the very same things. The message of this temple is that God judges evil. And he restores his people to their place. And we need to be prepared for that, friends. We should expect Christ to return in judgment. And it will be the same type of judgment that came on the temple. How do we wait well? We expect his judgment. We also prepare for his return. Did y'all see the um, news this morning? There's lots of news. I know y'all saw some of it. But to me, the highlight of the news was a man who went to the Waffle House. Anybody see this? Okay. So he goes to the Waffle House. The cook is asleep. Yeah, so it's probably like 3 a.m. The cook is asleep at the Waffle House. And, and the man waits around. Okay. The cook's still asleep 10 minutes later. And so this guy has the gumption to walk around the counter 
and fire up the grill, and he makes himself a double Texas bacon cheese steak melt. Right. That's probably what I would make. The cook was not prepared for his customer. In fact, he was asleep. And so it is with us that we might be asleep when Christ returns. And that's a scary thought. Read verse 32 to 37 with me. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Quick aside, if anybody tells you when Christ is coming back, go to this verse right here because they don't know. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves his home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The disciples, the people of God, the Christ followers, had to be ready for the destruction of the temple. Jesus was warning them. He was telling them to be ready. He says, you know, we we read the verse, look at the fig tree. When it starts to to leave, you know the blossoms are coming soon. You need to be ready when you see some of this destruction happening because you know the destruction of the temple is coming. I'm telling you, stay awake. Because they had to get out quickly. And it says there in in chapter 13, verses 14 and, and 15, it says, you know, when these things start to happen, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant, or those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter, because you're going to have to go quick. You don't have time to get your coat. You don't have time to go back to your house. When, when you see this coming, when you see the destruction of the temple, when you see God's judgment coming, get out of Jerusalem. Don't be caught with the apostate people who are against the gospel because God's judgment is coming. Get out. And so it is with us. We need to be ready when God's judgment comes. It doesn't mean we can't associate with non-Christians. We want to do that. We want to share the gospel with them by all means. But we need to know that when God's judgment is coming, our identity needs to be in Christ and not with this world. We don't know when it's coming. Not even the Son knows. And when it does come, we need not be caught up in institutions and actions and persistent sin that is opposing the gospel. We as the people of God need to be aware, be prepared and to stay awake. The chef at the Waffle House did not know when that customer was coming. Evening, midnight, when the rooster crows, he was asleep. And I read that story and I was like, you know what? I think I'd probably be cool enough to do that too. <laughs> right? Walk around the cor- counter and make a sandwich. 
but I'm not the customer, I'm the chef. I'd probably be asleep. And it's my prayer that we will recognize our tendency to sleep so that Christ may awaken us for his return. Let's take home two things. How can we wait well in our present day? The first is this. We need to wait actively. This isn't a passive waiting. This is an active waiting. In his commentary on this passage, Anglican theologian N.T. Wright um, notes this. Where human societies and institutions set themselves up against the gospel and its standards, producing arrogant and dehumanizing structures, deep injustices, and radical oppression, there may be once more a place for prophets to denounce and to warn and for God's people to get out and run. (laughs) Friends, as we wait, we are called to anticipate, not just with our minds, but with our actions. What we do, we are to anticipate the kingdom to come. We're to live in this earthly kingdom as citizens of a heavenly one. And it is only in the act of waiting that we'll be prepared for the great day of judgment. And so we've got to ask the question, how are we participating or being included or identifying with systems and people and sins that are opposing the gospel? And when Christ returns, will we be able to run away from these things quickly? So we wait actively and we anticipate the kingdom that is coming in the here and now. And then secondly, we're called to wait humbly. Here's the deal. You're never going to be ready. I'm not going to be ready. Father Tripp's not going to be ready. You will never be ready for Christ's return. You'll never be ready if it was up to you. If you say, I don't need the baby Jesus. I just want the King of kings and Lords of Lords. And when he gets here, I will embrace him. I'm telling you, you're in trouble. Because we need the Christ born in a stable and laid in a manger. The Christ who would humble himself, even to the point of death. Who would give his life for our lives. We need that Christ to endure the Christ who is to come. Because we need to be standing cloaked in Jesus. So when he returns and God's judgment comes, our lives will be hid in Christ. We will be crucified with him, we will be raised with him, and we will be glorified. But if we stand outside of that Christ, and if we don't welcome this king born in a, in a manger, if we can't invite him into our hearts, we will never stand before him when he comes in glory and judgment. Be prepared. Stay awake. Wait actively and wait humbly. And depends solely on Christ.